are moving today into the uh, last paragraph of chapter 4. Verses 16, 17, and 18 of 2 Corinthians 4. If you would please join with me in prayer, and we will read the word of the Lord. Father, we come now to hear you. Father, in this day, in this age, how appropriate are these words. And yet, Father, with your Spirit, you will give us ears to hear. You will give us eyes to see. And Father, may we, uh, may we rejoice. As I look at this in the light of the Apostle Paul's life, um, I must say I am overwhelmed. I pray that my brothers and sisters will be overwhelmed also. And that, Father, we will gather with the brother Paul. And, Father, rejoice. It is what is before us. And, Father, what resources you have given to each of your children. Thank you, Father. For it is amazing love. How can it be? To your glory and praise. Amen. Verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, But at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, and the things which are not seen are eternal. Well, those of you who have been with me long enough know that when I move into another section, I usually take the first sermon and kind of give you a foundation on which the rest of the time of teaching will come off of, and that is what will happen today. Um, and, and, And I... When I look at this and I look at it in the flow of Second Corinthians, uh, it's a very appropriate text. Um, and, and yet I think that there's times when you come out of the contrast between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant and you come out of the teaching of, well, here is this earthen vessel with this massively precious treasure that is inside. We immediately want to jump down into chapter 5 and find out that, you know what, uh, we are a new creation in Jesus Christ and, and, and you know, he's not counting our trespasses against us and we have this ministry of reconciliation and yet stuck right there in 16, 17, and 18 could possibly be the key to the whole thing. <laughs> How do I endure this? I want to take you to another text. Gospel of John, chapter 15, beginning with verse 3. Uh, you better write fast today because we will be covering an extraordinary large amount of different scriptures. Okay? Beginning in verse 3. You have already been clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. For if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away and the branch dries up, And they gather them and they cast them into fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, 
and my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. And my Father is glorified by this, and you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Okay, when you see the word abide, okay, I want you to think of this from now on. Remain. Remain. Okay, this morning in our Sunday school class, I was talking about walking in the Spirit. Okay, the key to that is not in the Spirit. The key is walking. Okay, walking to us, I hope, should be just a normal action. It's not that I really think hard about it. I get up and I walk. It's not complicated. And what happens to a Christian is you all of a sudden have this new life and you will have to learn to what? Walk again. Some of us crawl in the spirit. Some of us stumble in the spirit. But the goal is to walk in the spirit. But I want you to ask yourself a question. When you think about that, I want to ask you every single one of you. How hard is it to walk in the flesh? And you know what? You didn't have to go to walk in the flesh school, did you? It just was so natural. So when you walk in the spirit, guess what? All of a sudden you're doing something that is not of your nature, your flesh. And guess what? It's hard. It's like trying to learn to walk all over again. Fascinating. And this text here, this is part of what is called the upper room discourse here in John. Jesus is preparing his disciples for his arrest with just in a few hours. And his crucifixion in a few hours past that. And he is telling them that, you know what? If you do not abide in me, you are thrown away and burn up. If you do not remain in me, it's all over. And my Father will be glorified in this if you abide in me. And my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Do you ever think about that? If you abide in me, if you remain in me, and what? My words remain in you. You can ask anything you want and it'll be done. That's, that's massive if you think about it. But I will tell you this. That phrase right there is the single most difficult thing you will ever deal with. Let me give you an, an illustration of this. And it happens regularly. Let's say you have a godly home. Okay? Everybody in the house is saved. Everybody in the house is walking in the spirit, except for those days that we get up 
in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom and we kick the edge of the bed, you stub your toe, and then the spirit leaves the building, right? I know none of you have ever done that, but in case you do, don't worry, okay? Let's say you have this godly home, you have godly children, godly pets, everything is just glorious, okay? Everybody gets up in the morning and they have their little time with Jesus. They study their devotionals. They read their Bibles. They pray. And they said, Lord, this day be about you and all the rest of it. And this is what your day starts out. Okay? What happens if one person in that house steps into selfishness? Just one. Say you have the average 4.3 in the house. I still haven't figured out what a point three child is, but uh, I've seen some of my children act point three. <laughs> but I guarantee you, as I have dealt with them, they're all there. One person steps into that home, illustrating selfishness. What happens to the house? Don't lie to yourself. The whole house goes. Goes quickly, too, if you think about it. Tell me I'm wrong. But I thought we were to abide in his word and abide in him. And anything I ask, someone will step up being selfish about. (laughs) Isn't it true? And if you think about it, and I use that one specifically, because truth of the matter is, is it not the easiest? What does it take to stir selfishness? Nothing. It didn't take nothing. Selfishness is there. And it's just saying, please cut me loose. And yet when I look at life, okay, and I have to look at it now as a Christian. There are people... Who would say the things that I did before my salvation? Now, some were illegal. <laughs> Actually, a lot were, but anyway. Okay, but I had a lot of things that I can look back on as a lost person that I am thankful that God allowed me, in some cases, to survive, but in some cases, the things that I got to see. The things I got to experience, the, the, the foods that I got to eat, to taste, uh, the things, the aromas. But I have noticed that they are greater now as a Christian than they ever were as a lost person. I, I remember I was coming over this dune and the aqueducts that fed uh, Herod's ca- uh, palace in Caesarea were there along the coastline. And you come over the dune and you look through these arches of the French-styled aqueducts. And the, the, you can see the sand had blowed up on part of it and was covering part of it. And you look through these ruins and you look out into the blueness of the Mediterranean. And I thought, whoa, dude. That meant a lot to me. I remember taking and praying for this church. It was early morning one morning on the Sea of Galilee. And our church is big enough that I can pray for everybody by name. And I, then I looked up and there's Tiberius is across the lake. And there's the mountain that a lot of people say that Jesus was on when he ascended to heaven. And, and you just look up there and you think, 
Whoa. Far out. Doesn't sound real spiritual, does it? My vocabulary is a little slow sometimes. There are things that we get to do, that we get to see, that we get to experience, that you just sort of like, wow. You know, my, my little granddaughter, I got to hold her and I was just sort of like this. And they said, well, you know, and I was like, yeah, but it's still like stinking new. Why don't you give her back to me when she's got some miles on her? Maybe she's not under warranty anymore. There are things that we get to see. There is. Did you know everyone in this room has had some fun in their life? Every one of us. Every single one of us in this room has had some joy in our life. Okay, and it was joy specific to you. Right? God has filled his creation with a lot of really cool, good stuff. If you think about it, you're honest with yourself. We have a holiday coming up. What is it? Don't say Halloween. <laughs> Father's Day. That's it. No, I was going with Father's Day. We call it Thanksgiving. Why? There's times that we're thankful. There's times like, well, I haven't gotten my fair share. Right? We have Thanksgiving. We have relationships. We have experiences that satisfy. We have sights. We have sounds. Just think about them in your own lives. I'm not, we have a tendency to think, well, I'd like to try that. Well, then go. Go try it. All of these beautiful things we have. I mean, the leaves are changing in Colorado. If, you, if you've never been back east, you're getting robbed out here, guys. I don't care what you say. Back east, you watch the hardwoods change. Dude, blows this away. But this does have something. You put snow above tree line and throw a blanket of snow around the aspens and through the evergreens. And you said, wow, that's kind of cool. I was coming home, uh, I think it was last night. And the clouds were starting to break. And it was weird because I could see the foothills, cloud bank, and then I could see the top of Mount Evans and Long's Peak. And it was like, wow, look what God did. I think he put like a zipper in the clouds. <laughs> well, I didn't know how else to describe it. It just was really cool. And, you know, I thought, well, I should take a picture of that. And it dawned on me, I have a phone that does that, but um, I'm not articulate enough to make it. Life has riches to it. Life has joy to it. Life has things that bring you great, great joy and satisfaction. But it has trouble in it. Job says man is born into trouble. Jesus said in this world you will have trouble 
James says we will fall into various trials. To the degree that God has given you joy and experience and delight in your life, life has had disappointment in it. Life has had pain in it. Life has had grief in it. Disaster. Life has been a bummer at times. But you know what? That is what life is. And one of the things that I have learned is that the longer you live, the more potential for bummer. And that for whatever reason, the longer you live, you run into more people who are a bummer. I was sharing with the Sunday school class today that I have seen more people in the body of Christ in my years of ministering in this church who were void of the Holy Spirit than I have seen people in this church who possess the Holy Spirit. And there's people who go, oh, he said that? Have you walked with me? I've been in this church 20 some odd years. I have seen more who have forsaken the fellowship than I have seen who embrace the fellowship. But the longer you live, the more potential there is for that. So how do we cope? I mean, everybody probably at one point or another has prayed for an elongated life. Like the way I said that. (laughs) And yet, the longer this thing is going to be, guess what? The more potential for heartache you have. And it tends to be everyone's goal in this world full of people to try to just adjust to tribulation. If you are not in tribulation right now, you are coming out of tribulation. And if you are not in tribulation right now, you are preparing to enter into tribulation. Because if you look at your life, you are going from one yay to a to a yay to a aren't you? Maybe you don't define it that way, but that is truly what it is. There will be something in the future who is going to break your heart, cause you anguish, cause you trials, cause you tribulation. And I look around at humanity, and humanity is trying to deal with life without total collapse. You hear terms like breakdowns, burnouts, hopelessness, fear, surrender. I give up. You'll hear somebody say, it is just absolutely useless. And yet, you know what, brothers and sisters, that I've learned? Through all of that, we all learn how to endure. How do we endure? And you know what, brothers and sisters, that's what this text is. How do we endure? The secrets of enduring. How can we endure the pain of life? How do we endure the difficulties of life, the disappointments of life. 
How do I endure broken dreams, broken homes, broken bodies, broken lives, broken relationships? How do we handle that? Ever thought about it? You know, I, in my readings of 2 Corinthians for these months, actually I think it's been a little longer than months, one of the things that I have learned, this is a very personal letter by the Apostle Paul, but one of the things I learned is it's a combination that he expresses, uh, here's what I've had to endure. And I can honestly say, without very much argument whatsoever, that I don't know anybody who endured more than the Apostle Paul. And next week I'll show you some. But when I think about chapter 4, verse 8, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not despairing. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. How in the world do you do that? How do you do that, Paul? We've already looked that he was humble. He was unstoppable. He was sacrificial. He looked for his fruit. He was faithful. He was hopeful. And he worshipped in everything that he did. How can we do that? This is 2011. Paul didn't even know what an Apple computer was. How can we be victorious? I'll back you up a few years. Chapter 2, verse 14. Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. Paul says here in verse 10, we are always caring about the body, caring about in the body the dying of Jesus, that the life of Jesus may be manifest in our bodies. You think about that for a second. I'm bearing the reproach of Jesus Christ, and yet the life of Christ is to be seen. Have you ever seen people who are suffering for Jesus? There's no doubt in your mind they are suffering for Jesus, and they want you to know that they are suffering for Jesus. You ever seen them? And you think, boy, I hope I don't ever have to suffer for Jesus like that. And yet I look at the Apostle Paul. There is no man has ever walked this planet who suffered as much for Jesus Christ. And yet, you know what? He never talked about it except to the Corinthians. And that was because the Corinthians were saying he's disqualified. He's unimpressive. He and they were beginning to listen to what the world was saying about the man who founded that church. How do I let the life of Jesus for the joy set before him, he endured the cross? Cross joy, really? Those two go together, that's sort of like body piercing. No. Those don't belong in the same paragraph. Joy, cross, really? I don't think so. But he says, for the joy set before him. Constantly, the apostle Paul was being delivered over to death. And constantly, the life of the apostle Paul being delivered over death was seeing the life of Jesus being manifest in his body. It was manifest in mortal flesh. He was happy about it. God had given him this ministry, and this ministry was painful. 
It had trials. It had tribulations. How can you and I live victory? A victorious life in Christ. And I'm talking about one that stands in the face of whatever is happening and is victorious. It is triumphant. It stands there and says, what are you going to do, kill me? Really? That's a reward. Actually, that would be the ultimate reward. And it doesn't matter the heartache. It doesn't matter the trials. It doesn't matter the circumstances. How do I stand victorious in that? And if you think about it, I guarantee you, whatever suffering that we endure in this congregation cannot compare the Apostle Paul. And I wouldn't be surprised if most of the suffering in this congregation is self-inflicted. How can we live that way? How can I live on the very edge of death in the height of life? How do I do that? The threat of death was on Paul. And yet life mattered. Because I've seen people say, they, oh, oh, just near death. Okay? They ain't living a life. They're not excited about it. They're not happy. They're not thrilled. Listen, I'm working for Jesus. Oh, I'm suffering for Jesus. How is it that I can be afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing? I know none of you have ever been perplexed. Struck down, not destroyed, persecuted, but not forsaken. I found a verse. And it's... It's a good verse. <clears throat> it comes from the 37th Psalm. And it's fascinating, verse 24, but the context is, begins in verse 23. The steps of a man are established by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Right? You just sit there and you think about that and let that kind of ponder around in your head for a little bit, and you're like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, then read 24. <laughs> when he falls. You know what that means, right? As that Cajun guy would say, Guaranteed. When he falls, he will not be hurled headlong because the Lord is the one who holds his hand. Victories. Triumph. And I see the perspective of this psalmist. The fall never devastates. The fall never destroys. The trial, the trouble, the tribulation, the heartache, the anguish cannot destroy. How can I live like that? How can I be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus? Let me give you some other verses. Second Timothy. Chapter 2. Second Timothy is the last letter penned by the Apostle Paul. Shortly after writing this letter, he has his head removed for the preaching of the gospel. And as he is wrapping up his ministry, he knows it. And he knows that young Timothy needs to 
pick up the baton. I hear, hear this a lot dealing with our brothers and sisters in Burma. They're always looking at who will continue on. Who will, who's next? I struggle with that. Who's next? Who will pick up the baton? Chapter 2 of 2 Timothy, verse 1. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. How can I be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus? Verse 3. Suffer hardship with me. As a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Fascinating, isn't it? Go over to chapter 4, verse 5. But you, be sober in all things. You know what that means, right? Think it through. Think it through. A, a drunk doesn't think it through. He's just like, whoops, here we go. Be sober in all things. Then he says this. Endure hardship. Endure it. Do the work of evangelists. Fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. And I have kept the faith. That all comes with stand in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Regardless of what's coming, keep fighting. Regardless of what happens, finish the course that is set before you. Regardless of what they throw at you or what they accuse you of or they mock you. Regardless of what this place will do to afflict you. Keep the faith. Keep the faith. How do I obey that? How can I be among the truly happy? How can I be among the truly content? How can I do that in every circumstances? James chapter 5. James chapter 5. Verses 7 11. Be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil. Be patient about it until it gets the early and the late rains. You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts for the coming of the Lord is near. Do not complain. Hello. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you may yourselves not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience. Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count those blessed. Who did what? Who endured? You've heard of the endurance of Job. You have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings. That the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. Job had endurance. How do we do that? How do you and I do that? This is 2011. Don't you understand? It's different today. A text that means a lot to me is my single favorite church. Sorry, guys. 
But the church that I love the most? Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4. Therefore, we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of your persecutions and afflictions, which you, what? You endured. This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which indeed you are suffering. Do you think about that? The Apostle Paul is boasting of their endurance. Regardless of what's going on. And if you read the history of Thessalonica, what a redneck place to be in. I mean, Paul was there probably no more than about three months and they took one of the Christian believers hostage, threatened to kill him unless Paul and his people left. But, but they never gave up. They had two priests come to the synagogue in Thessalonica. Both of them got saved and started attending the church. That was in Jason's house, the guy who had been taken prisoner and threatened to kill if he didn't leave. He boasted in them. Why? Because of their endurance. Be like those who find favor with God. If you just cruise over back that way. Second, no, first Peter chapter two, verse 19. For this finds favor. For if for the sake of conscience towards God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. Did you hear that? Unjust suffering, if you endure it, guess what? It finds favor with God. Let me tell you something. There ain't a person in this room who doesn't believe at some point or other they were unjustly, right? Somewhere in the pack, I was something was unjust in my life. I know it had to have been. You know, I think about when we look at Hebrews 11. We always see the, the faith hall of fame. And we always talk about, wow, man, you know, that's, you know, that's Cain or Abel and, and, and Abraham. And you just go down the list and you just sit there in awe of these guys. And I think, yeah, yeah, that's good. Except you need to read chapter 10. Which normally you do if you're going into chapter 11. Verse 32. Remember the former days when after being enlightened, you what? Endured a great conflict of suffering. Partly to be made a public spectacle through reproaches, tribulation, and partly by becoming sharers of those who were so treated. You showed sympathy to the prisoners, accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, did you read that? Joyfully, they seized my property. I see a lot of people who suffer for Jesus, and there's no doubt in your mind they're suffering. It's hard to see someone say, I'm suffering for Jesus, and I take great joy in it. Because James says, count it all 
when you fall into various... Anybody lined up in that line? Here I want to be in the joy line with the seizure of my property. Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame. Why? Because he saw what was ahead. Saw what was ahead. How can we be enduring people, remaining people, abiding people? How can we deal with troubles of life with endurance? How can we take the daily grind that life throws at us and endure it? But how do we do it with joy? You ever thought about that? That's one thing says, yeah, I'm going to get through this thing. You've seen it. You all know what it is. It's just, I just don't understand this, but God's got me here and by his will. Boy, I'm telling you, this is going to be a dandy. Yay, Jesus. I know them people. You sit there and go, good Lord. I think I know the problem. But I don't think you can hear it. <laughs> but you see it. I, I know people now in droves who are in to self-martyrdom. It drove Luther nuts. He called it self-flagellation. Let me afflict myself for the things of Jesus. Well, that is stupid. Why? If I walk in his righteousness, I'll be persecuted. I don't need to add to it. You know, let, her, let me persecute myself. Brilliant idea. Okay, go on without me. I'm still trying to figure out, do I want the joy line of trials and tribulations? And then every once in a while he says, oh, you don't get to make that decision. <laughs> Kaboom! I guess I was in the wrong line. But we do it. I watch people. Well, you just don't understand what I'm suffering for Jesus. You know what? If you ever say that to me, here will be my answer. You're right. I don't understand what you're going through because you have missed the king. That's why my counseling business is so massive. <laughs> the longer we live, the more trouble we will be in. The more I know of scripture, the harder it gets to exist on this planet. And you know what the tragedy is? Not all of us will endure triumphantly. There are those who will endure triumphantly and there are those who will get through it. And yet we all have the resources to be victorious, to be triumphant, to walk in this Massive parade that God brings forth that shows his victory over sin and death and hell. We are to endure, and the only way that we can do it is through the resources that have been given us. That is back in our text. That is what is in this text. We do not lose heart, though the outer man is decaying. Some of them are decaying quicker than others. That's not in the Bible, but 
You know what I mean by it. Our inner man is being renewed day by day. Then here's this amazing verse that every one of us will say, Amen, brother, as long as it ain't me. For momentary light affliction. I've never had a light affliction, nor has it been momentary. My afflictions have always been very heavy and go on and on and on. You don't understand. I'll set that record straight next Sunday when we look at the Apostle Paul. And if you can stack up to him, I'll hear your pain. If you can't, shh. Because it's just a momentary light affliction. I am convinced that the suffering of this age cannot compare to the glory to come. Especially if it's happening to you and not me. While we look not at the things which we which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, and the things which are not seen are eternal. We are able to endure with the resources that are here in this text, and that's what your outline is. Okay? Now then, I'm closing. I want you to think about it. Do you understand the resources that you have to endure? And if you say yes, then I will ask you the next question. You know how I always did. Are you enduring? Or are you just getting through it? Is there a joy of triumph in your life? Or are you in the, well, I got through that one, but here are my chinny chin chin. That ain't the way the Apostle Paul looked at it. And remember what we're looking at here. Ministry. I mean, you, you can sit and tell me, well, I enduring ministry. And some of you I can see are. Absolutely. But I do know that there are some who are not triumphant in their endurance. It's, uh, I've, I've got a little poem thing on my uh, desk that the Todd's gave me a couple of years ago. And it's basically footprints in the sand. You guys, everybody knows that poem or song or story, whatever it is. And it says, you know, I left one set of tracks. Why did you forsake me? He says, no, my son, that is when I carried you. Mine has an extra line. The drag marks that are in the sand of God bringing you back to where you needed to be. Too many of us are being drugged through our endurance instead of standing strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. We'll look at the Apostle Paul next week and begin looking at the resources that each of us have to endure victoriously through anything that happens in our lives. Let's pray. Father, we come before your throne, the author and the finisher of our faith. Thank you, Lord, for our brother Paul. Father, I thank you for our Savior, for the joy set before him endured the cross for our sakes. Father, may that be 
the center of our thankfulness. May that be the center of our joy. May that be the focus of our endurance. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for drawing us together this day. Father, and I thank you for the snow and the beauty of it. Father, I thank you for this fellowship and individuals that mean so much to me, the encouragement that they are to me. And yet, Father, I pray we will walk shoulder to shoulder, standing in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. To your glory and praise, in Christ's name, amen.